welcome to the Mono Rants wrap up for season one of the boys. Join us for a no holds barred spoiler filled chat about everything we loved in the fantastic TV debut. Barring an existential crisis, I'm still your host and jack of all trades Mono, and with me is my favourite and only co host and master of none, Kira. I have chicken legs! Kira has chicken legs. So we have no creative crew to discuss, no summaries for me to mess up, so let's get straight into it. Kira, tell me what you loved, tell me what you didn't, tell me why. Say some things so I don't have to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I hate it when you do that. <laughs> what well, did I love? I love the There's one, only have, two of us. Who I, else am I going to throw to? Uh, a cat. I don't know. The ghost that haunts this house. Um, Pick one thing and tell me what you liked. One we'll thing that I liked. I, it's really, really hard. I think the translation from comic book to actual show... They have done really, really well because now when I go back and I read the graphic novels, it is it is almost like a treatment for a show. Yeah. So it is like it's very much you look at it and especially the ones that the first season are based off of, they're they're storyboards for what the show has become. I just think that they've taken the idea behind it and just run with it in a million different directions I would never ever think of going in. Yeah, that I have to say that was one of the biggest joys of watching it the first time around for me was it wasn't a straight adaption. No. Like and I was before we recorded I kind of was sitting there and thinking about like well what what storylines did they adapt for season 1? And they didn't really adapt any storylines no. for season 1. They just they they just kind of cherry picked little plot points and cherry picked little kind of situations and characterizations. And I think I said it in episode five or six of our podcast that they've adapted the comics. They wanted to stay true to the comics without being limited by them. No, they've taken the storylines and the motivations of these characters and placed them in a real world setting that you believe in. You believe these in this environment. They've developed that really, really well. And they've made each character extremely grounded and given oh, yeah. them human faults and human flaws and they react the way people do react out of irrationality and out of fear and sex and money and love. They have all these drives, which is really nice to see because a lot of the time, especially within the superhero genre, you see these people <clears throat> reacting in ways that aren't natural. So to make them human, have, have these human capacities at their core, even though they have these superpowers and they can do these amazing things, they still have the same fears and weaknesses, not weaknesses, but they have those same fears and doubts yeah. as, as your every man on the street, which I think makes it a lot more relatable. And then giving us somebody like Huey, who is... <laughs> He's the audience. He's definitely our audience. He is. Um, but he is just played so well. Oh yeah, well I mean, there's there's nobody in the cast that I dislike. There's no, yeah, no, I don't think there is a weak point in that cast Certainly at all. From from an acting capability standpoint, not like I don't like his character or that character or anything. Just just the, in terms of the the level of acting talent in that show, even to is that amazing. point, I don't think there is there's a character that I don't like. Um, I, have to I say. didn't. I didn't have much love for Ashley the first time we watched the show. No, she I did love. Grow on me. I love Ashley. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know you love Ashley. I love Ashley because Ashley is every like but again. I didn't. I didn't hate her or anything. You know. No. I think in season one she's less of a character and more of just not a vehicle for exposition, but a vehicle to kind of show. She's a corporate stooge. Yeah, she demonstrates the 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 corporate stooge thing yeah. very well. You know what I mean? And it wasn't necessarily about her as a character. No. Uh, and then in season two, we do get more of her as a character. Yeah, yeah. which when when you go back then to rewatch <coughs> and knowing what she's going to become, she becomes a lot more fun that way. Mm. You Annie's introduction in this and the character of Annie. Definitely a high point for me, yeah. Overall, from the way she's portrayed in the comic book to now is a glow up of epic proportions. Oh, let's, let's face it. Gareth Dennis is not great at writing female characters no my and most hated character in Preacher is Chula yeah and Annie is Annie's definitely got more of a personality than Chula yeah in the comics but she still is very one dimensional yeah she doesn't go through a huge amount of growth Um, she does a bit like but it's it's nothing like Annie in the show no she is just 
this whole she's a complete character in the show you know what I mean you understand her her fears her hopes you understand her motivations Mm -hmm. you're with her the whole way through her journey you know you feel what she feels and a lot of that is Erin Moriarty oh yeah but yeah they just they put they put so much effort into characterizing these people and making them feel real because in in the comics a lot of the superheroes a lot of the seven don't have much beyond their their base defining characteristics no you know Homelander gets a little bit and he gets a little bit Maeve gets a little bit but other than that the rest of them are just very very wonderful and they have no little to no interaction with people in the comic books they stick to themselves they don't socialise outside of that they don't have you know and they do very much view like they live in a fucking floating fortress in the comic books for fuck's sake yeah you know uh, that nobody can get into except for them and you know the VP from Vought Mm, the Vought are much more front and centre in the show yes they are they're a be they're a character in their own right they are they are you know the Vought Corporation as a whole is a backdrop to a lot of what is going on and they're the man to use Wizard of Oz reference they're the man behind the curtain yeah and in the strings in the comics that is it is an important thing in the comics but in the show, it's just, it's, it's, I think it's so much more of a focal point because it allows them to say and do a lot more about the modern world. Yes. In the comics, it was more about the seven. And the show, it's more about the company. Yes. Like, that's what's more important. They've taken a look back, and honestly, it is what would the world be like given all of our technology and everything we have today? Yeah. But if we also had superheroes in the mix. Yeah, no, it they've they've updated it fantastically for the times because they they've managed to work in so much to do with social media and the way Disney are in their owning everything and their mm-hmm. cinematic universes and it's I just I can't praise it enough for its its satire and its parody. No, it's and so it's, good. it's really because and it's such good satire and so good satire is very difficult to come across. South Park are, are amazing satirists. Yeah. But they even they have their times when they it's been a bit of a swing and a miss. Mm. This for the most part they it's subtle, it's the little subtle nuances. They can. It's everything from <coughs> say in the shareholding meeting with that fucking video. Well, that, but that's brilliant. That corporate that shareholder meeting bollocology video. It's like the Disney like a Disney shareholder meeting or any shareholder meeting, um, in the DC, the DC fandom events that they had during COVID. Yeah. It, it was just, it was perfect. And I mean, when they were... Considering um, the company that I have previously worked for that was American owned and did have training videos that were almost picture for picture, that... Oh, yeah. That video, I can appreciate the the satire, the, the, or not the satire, the parody of these mega corporations yeah Yeah. and that all that they really care about is their bottom line and everything that they do is to cover up and hide all the shady shit that is going on in the background yeah I think for me one of my favourite things about the season not singling out any a single event is just the realism in the show and the groundedness Mm. we talked about it a couple of times throughout I loved how like doppelgangers clothes don't change when he changes form <laughs> how translucent has to be naked all of these little things make sense for real world superheroes in inverted yeah. commas every it just seemed like everything was thought out to the little detail I, I know I talked about the the old posters being put up underneath new posters for movies on set and the two guys walking around flicking paint to make it look like bird shit they just paid so much attention to detail and so much thought went into making this a world like you feel could totally exist. It is, it is basically, I know it's set in New York. It was filmed in Ontario. Yeah, in Canada, definitely. Um, But they haven't, in terms of set dressing, they've taken everyday streets and they've just added in these little touches around the place, which is what helps make it real. It's not like they've gone out and built these massive sets and tried to recreate something. And, and they haven't actually done the classic thing of wedding down the streets, mm. which is which is a Hollywood trick of you hose down everything so then you don't see the dirt. Yeah, they've no, they left the it. Dirt. And they've left the garbage and the overflowing and the graffiti and, and all of that thing. So it does make 
it does add to it. Yeah, and it's not just you've got the, like lost cat posters stuck up. You know, have you found this raccoon? Yeah, it's it's not just all the the A train merchandise or all the posters in Times Square. It's the Homelander cup in the dingy kitchen. It's the deep cup in Annie's house that's yeah. old and worn away. It's it's all the little stuff that you'd miss, but that really does add to making or or the the lamplighter logo on the moving van yeah all just passed over they don't all make a the big endorsement deal deals and yeah. all the that that's going on in the background that you wouldn't that in our day-to-day world would be celebrities and and influencers having these massive deals in this world obviously celebrities have these deals but it's the superheroes that are more prominent even the association of collateral damage survivors but that's totally a thing that would exist in a world of superheroes and you never see it the closest thing you see to it is is it in Endgame when Steve is hosting a a, like survivors group for people who had other people snapped away kind of thing yeah that's you know the closest and they 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 try and address things a bit more realistic in their newer seasons like uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier and stuff but this the whole world it just it feels like a world that exists and lives in and is in in many ways exactly like our own except for well, V was invented and it makes superheroes. Yeah, and some are the lucky few who are chosen and they've been spun this lie. Yeah, and I like how they, they in the comics, as we've said, it's... In the wild. Yeah, it's out in the environment and it's it's known by a lot of people that, that V is a thing that makes superheroes. In this, it's only given to babies and everything is kept under wraps. Yeah, and... Uh, yeah, and I just I like it, it. I like the kind of conspiracy aspect of it. Yes. Over the way it's done in the comics, it's again that it's just a small thing, but I really like that. I also like the fact that not everybody who works in Vault, like Stillwell, doesn't know about V. You very much get the impression that she doesn't know about it until it's brought to her attention. So even other people within the company who are quite a high up don't know about it. Well, I think Stillwell knows about it. Like when the the mayor mentions it to her, she doesn't seem surprised. No. But I'd say there's plenty of people who, like Ashley wouldn't. No, there's Ashley wouldn't have yeah. to do about me. And even when in the last episode when Annie says calls her mom out on it, Annie's mom is like, What told you? Like even she knows. She yeah. was probably you know, had to sign the most severe NDA ever when she was given the, the injection or when Annie was given the injection. Yeah, well it is here's this thing that can save your child but you can't tell anybody about it. That must be a that must be terrifying. They must hold everything. It, it would literally be like you will get disappeared if you ever are discovered to be the leak of this. Yeah, you know well, Edward know. Snowden won't have shit on you. Like <laughs> we know how hard it is <clears throat> for any actual conspiracies to say hidden, and this is the, I mean she says in the first episode they've got what two thousand soups across America. Yeah, so that's four thousand parents who had to sign NDAs. Yeah, who know the truth about V, and it's never come out. Yeah, yeah. Those must be some airtight NDAs and some terrifying lawyers and enforcers. Well, we've already seen the lawyers in it with the lawyer that comes in to deal with Huey um, after Robin's untimely demise. Yeah, that you know they do have it. It it is a parody of the corporate machine because you've gotten over the years we've seen different class action lawsuits going up against these big corporations yeah. for environmental impact, health, damage to health and things like that. And they just steamroll over them or just tie them up for years and years and years. So if you were a parent who had an incredibly sick child and somebody offered you this miracle drug and you've turned around now and are trying to either come clean about it or take them to court over something... You're not going to have a leg to stand on. You're not even going to get there because they're just going to send Blackmore in the night to <laughs> yeah, make it look like a tragic gas leak. Yeah, there's either lawyers or there's, yeah, Blackmore's coming for you. One or the other. Yeah. I do love, just how, they, just how they show the powers in the show as well. Yeah. It's never overly flashy. And I was listening to the the boys official podcast yes. the one from Amazon Studios and it's fantastic if you haven't listened to it there's great it's like a behind the scenes documentary they have interviews with all the cast and the crew and directors and Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg and Kripke and the whole lot but they were interviewing some of the VFX guys and they were saying it was a fantastic project to work for them to work on because they didn't they got to be really creative with it because say for example in Man of Steel when Superman takes off 
uh, it's a big thing and the camera focuses on him as he flies away up into the sky yeah and they have to put a lot of effort into it because it's the main focus of the scene but if like in the boys if if homelander's taking off and it's you know he, him taking off from a rally or taking off from whatever they can have the focus on be on something else yeah and they can kind of fudge some of the details in the uh, in the vfx but it, it gives the effect that like or they always try to give the effect that it's not it's because that's not important people are so used to seeing people flying around and yeah it wouldn't be the focus of every single news story no it still the focus is all the shit he's after knocking over as he's taken off well not even that but like if homelander gives an interview and then he flies away in that world, the cameraman is, or sorry, the cameraman is going to stay on the reporter who's finished interviewing Homelander, yeah. so he can wrap things up. It's not going to follow Homelander. Considering off. that seems to be Homelander's standard entrance and exit from shit too. Uh, yeah, he exits stage left. Well, he he exits stage up. Um, <laughs> or translucent, obviously. Anytime he's invisible, they only have to animate him turning invisible or turning from invisible back to visible. Yeah. Other than that, it was just a real clever use of. VFX to, to portray the superpowers and I thought it was really really well done there was no like there was I can't think of any scene where I looked at the VFX and thought oh that's a bit dodgy no not really and the blood and gore were just spectacular the whole oh, way oh splattering the splattering everywhere um, I particularly enjoyed Translucent's invisible explosion uh, I liked the female sticking her eyes into the Filipino guy's face and then snapping his neck when she escapes sticking her fingers in his eyes not sticking her eyes into his face is that what I said? Yeah. God damn it. I was like, damn, them some snail powers. Eyes on stocks. <laughs> Gonna look inside but yeah, your the, asshole. The, the gore, fantastic. The VFX were fantastic mm. as well. I really, really enjoyed it. The one thing I, I will say is, yes, it was extremely gory, but none of it was gratuitous. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you've got the opening sequence which is your introduction to the world, which is the two kids talking about it. And the first thing that you see is an ad for a movie on the back of a bus. And then the two kids talking about the plot line and what they want to see, which is what yeah. everybody's done as kids. Oh, yeah. And then having Maeve, like, number one, breaking that poor lady's window, running across it. But that that's... The kids aren't phased by this... What, two, three people have just been brutally murdered in front of them by superheroes? And they're like, oh, cool, Homelander, selfie. Yeah. Like that, uh, but that's very much the world we live in now as well, is that people are so desensitized to violence that they're like, oh yeah, you just mangled that guy. Cool, can I have a selfie? We've probably, we've seen worse. Yeah. In in the real world than than people being Tossed. callous towards death <laughs> that they've just witnessed. But even, the, yeah. But like, it does, it speaks to the realism of the show. Like. You know, you've got a guy landing on a car, four cars down there, splattered. But it's just that it, it serves... To show you that already they don't have... They have so little regard for human life. Yeah, they they do a great amount in this show. They do a lot of show instead of tell. Yes. They don't do big exposition dumps. They show you little things like that. Like in the very first scene, Homelander flinging that guy away shows you. Okay, well, he has kind of a little bit of regard. For, he's certainly no Superman. No. <laughs> you know, he's certainly no Superman if he's like... They're clowns! Oh, okay, I can wipe them all out. <laughs> Yeah, they do. They 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 show you a lot and they infer a lot mm. without you know having to hold your hand and be like, and this is this and this is this. It does. It you know. There's nothing worse than a show that treats its audience like idiots. Yeah. So, who was your favorite character? Favorite character. If you had to pick one. If I had Frenchie. Frenchie. Frenchie, I love him. Yeah. I just I... everything about him. I love from his insane introduction with the hip hop and the guns. And the drugs, just and and the big fucking pig head on him when he's square enough to butcher in the get go, to him cooking a gourmet dinner for the female and setting the table for her and like well the little crate and giving her proper silverware, mm. to him having complete and utter like dumbfounded amazement at Huey risking his life to come and save them <laughs> definitely his, one of my favourite Frenchie bits from the season is his that. reactions to everything um, and his compassion I think because he is like he's the only one the rest of them are just like when they find the female they're like what the fuck is that and Frenchie lets her out yeah. He, his first instinct not a great is, choice no but his first instinct is shit that girl's been kept in a cage by mafia let's let her out without even thinking about well why is she being kept in a cage he just sees a poor scared girl mm. and then 
they all end up locked in the cage with that great bit following that fight scene where she's trying to swipe at them and Emmett's holding the door shut and leaning back and just screaming. Yeah, the female introduction is is fantastic actually that episode is brilliant but I just Frenchie I feel like very much like he's the philosophizer of the group oh yeah he's the romantic of the group in that sense of um, oh you're only a no romantic yeah Yeah. like he sees (laughs) he wants the good life and he wants the joy and I think he's looking for something more than just the vengeance don't get me wrong he enjoys fucking people up yeah. Oh, yeah. But he understands that there's more to life like than that. Yeah, well, you get that from him very early on when he's telling Huey the story about the first person he killed. Yeah. And he's very much describing her... As a as, lover. Yeah, as somebody with a lover. Um, Frenchie, yeah. No, Tomer Capon is amazing as Frenchie. He really is. And he's one of my favourite characters in the comic books. Yeah. Definitely one of my favourite characters in the show as well. I just... I um, think he's fantastically well cast. I just love the nut jobbery around him yeah oh yeah he's trying to calm down Huey and he's like here offering him drugs yeah the candy flip yeah <laughs> I yeah no I'd, I'd have to agree with you I would pick Frenchie as as my favourite but for the sake of bringing him up I'll say that if not Frenchie the deep I, the deep is probably I, one of yeah. my favourites because in he was definitely the biggest surprise for me because in the comics the deep is just kind of there yeah, he never does anything particularly no, bad. He, he never does anything particularly it. good. And he he's got that big old diver helmet on as he's well. He's the only one who survives from the seven. Yeah, uh, come the, at the very end of the comics, and well, not the only one, but and he survives as well, obviously. But yeah, he's never you never hear much about his backstory in the comics either. So he was kind of a blank slate that they could do whatever they wanted with. Yeah. But the, in the comics, they never really, with the seven, they never really develop a lot of them. Like you've got, no. Okay. So Homelander is like your, your blonde psycho. Maeve is an alcoholic bint. Black Noir is, is very much just a psycho that shows up. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll still say that spoiler just in case they ever yeah. decide to work it into no, the show. No, but somewhere. like, like Black Noir, you don't really get much on him that he's yeah. the insane assassin. Uh, the deep is just the the fish guy. Yeah, he's just there. Jack from Jupiter is a depraved little pervert. Yeah, that's his thing. Is he's a pervert. And who am I missing then? And then you got A Train is the 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 callous guy who kills Louis' he... girlfriend and is just a dick to Starlight. Yeah. And he's just an all around. He's just he's the the frat jock douche character. Yeah. And then um... you've got Lamplighter who's in it, but he's a zombie. Yeah, he's a V zombie. So they don't really develop any of them. They're just there and they have these traits and their characters are very much set in stone. So having somebody come along like Chase Crawford and take the role of the deep and yeah, he is that douchey jock guy to start with. And I I especially love the scene on the pier when he's like, Oh, the only want me to do my big pretty dives into the water. Yeah. And Annie's just staring at him going, You have no why what Why are you even talking to me? Shut the fuck up. And like the hypocrisy of him as well then when he's giving out when the camera's on around, he's giving out about how he just want they just want him to do the big pretty dives. And then he's like, Oh, did you see my dive? It was fucking it was cherry. cherry. But I I really enjoy Craig Chase Crawford as an actor. I think he has brought something else to that role. Especially when he gets transferred to Sandusky. Yeah, and that's he, where he really starts to be fun for me. The is, moment is, he cracks when he thinks he's going back to the Seven and they tell him he's not. Yeah, we didn't really talk about that much in the last episode. No, when but he the, that... Break down and break, shaves his head and... Number one, that smoothie he makes looks like a really good smoothie and then he puts like half a bottle of vodka in it and I was totally on board with that. <laughs> I was like, yes, I want to drink that. Um, But that's the moment where you can see the light, the hope... He's like, oh, I'm just being sent off here for as a slap on the back of the hand. And, oh, they're getting called up and everything's kind of gone a bit wrong. Yeah. And, you know, he's talking about joining the Marine program because of all the mad shit that the you UN... Do dolphins. Yeah. I can't wait to command my own unit. Yeah. And then being told that he's not going back. And you can just see that last little, like, glimmer of hope die in him. On top of all the heart, like, okay, he's lost his position. He's just been finger banged in the gills by some crazy fangirl. He, he keeps trying to save animals and it's going yeah, he's horribly a, he's wrong. He's a constant punching bag for the show. Uh, and I, I love all of it. Yeah. I just love all of it. Culminating with him shaving his entire body and head. Yeah, while crying and, and everybody yeah. hurts place. He's, he's that close to Thingy lying on the floor, crying, drunk, eating a burger. 
Hasselhoff. Yeah. <laughs> like he's he's a he's a fucking good burger away and from that. I, I love him just as much in season two. He's even better the journey he goes yeah. on. His breakdown is is really well done though. Because oh, yeah. everything is getting taken away from him. And you you believe him when he breaks down as well. Yeah. Like again, he's a brilliant portrays the role brilliantly, like yeah. um from the the height of his douchebaggery to the lowest of his lows after he's been kill raped. It's he's just well, so good. Episode eight when he's standing there butt naked shaving himself, he ain't got them tan lines no more. Everything's here. Everything's even, so he's been lying out butt naked in Ohio, in Sandusky, Ohio, getting him some tan on. Nothing else to do. No. Ooh, there's a water park. Well, he's got Lake Erie, so he's been out like scaring tourists. <laughs> do you reckon he spends his his daily allowance just going down and buying lobsters every day to free them? Oh, his seventy five dollar stipend. That and like fucking blizzards out of what? I don't know what the the grocery store is. Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen. And he's like, yeah. oh, like lizards and stuff? Um, totally unrelated, but one of my other favourite parts of the season was uh, M.M. and Frenchie interactions. There's They're some inter- brilliant the, the lines. F- number one, the very first one where one pulls a gun and the other one pulls a knife. Yeah. And they're shouting at each other. That one that's interrupted by the phone call from Monique. That where uh, the, that French um, whore is going to get or that French frog is going to get what's coming to him and Frenchie's response is the only thing that's coming is me on your, your mother's, mother's titties. titties. Yeah. I love their banter. Their, their angry, angry banter is just brilliant and it is it's one of the better parts of the show but then when they're say when they're in the van waiting when they're scoping out the noodle place though and they're having the conversation about being monogamous and Frenchie's quoting Jean-Paul Zatia about you know I get and then being like oh I get to go to sleep behind beside a different body every night yeah and you it speaks to like a long-term friendship as well yeah, and the like, past history that they have that they're comfortable enough, like they're they're debating philosophy, and Huey's just sitting there being like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, their the nuance of their relationship is really well played because, as you say, you can tell they have they've worked together for years, but MM has this one thing that he can't get over, which is the whole death of Mallory's grandkids and holding Frenchie responsible for that. Yeah, well, but he has still... a daughter, so he feels that more keenly than anybody than any of the others. Yeah, exactly. He's like, well if it was my daughter mm. and we don't really have a time frame for when they got shut down the first time around no but I would assume it was before the birth of M.M.'s daughter she I don't think looks, she looks she's about what six seven she looks to be of a similar age well actually no I suppose she probably would if she's six or seven it would and, be around the time of the events and it's only eight years since Sorry, seven years since Becca went missing in the first place. Yeah, presumably the first time when shit went down, it was only maybe three or four years in the past. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get more answers to, to what happened the first runaround in season three. Yes, because it would be interesting to see because you don't even get really get, there's no real history of that in the comic books either. There's certain little like... It's, it's dotted throughout the comic yeah. books. You do get the full story by the end of it, but it is, it's dotted throughout and it's given to you piecemeal. Very much in the way that Butcher likes to give it information. And lie about it. The characterization of Butcher is phenomenal. It, yeah, it's fairly true to the comics, but they bring the bastard to the fore very early on. Yes. They there's no hiding how much of a dick he is. Yeah. They don't sugarcoat the fact that he's a dick, whereas within the original Garth Ennis run, you don't get the full scale of it until yeah, you just quite he, late when yeah. he's when it it looks like he's having a mental break. Where as in this, he's out being a nut job from the start. Yeah, and they go really interesting places with him in season two because obviously with Becca back, that's something that we never would have seen in the comics. No, she she died, and he had to beat the baby to death in the comics. Yeah, I yeah no, I I really like the changes that they've made. Yes, uh, not just his character, pretty much any change they've made. From the show to from the comics to the show, I'm down for. I no, really am. No, I think that's the whole th- thing that I was saying was that the, the comic books are almost like a, a treatment now. Yeah, and it's like here's the bare bones. Go run with it. Here's yeah, the this, basis. Here's the basic core traits of each of these characters. Now make them come to life. Yeah, yeah, and I really. I think I, I I mentioned it a little bit earlier that that was one of the, the great joys of watching the show the first time was that. As we realised, oh, they're not following the comics. 
it meant that we have no idea where they're going to go. No. Really don't. And the same with season two was stuff that we had never seen before. Season three looks like it's going to be stuff we've never seen before, but they're still taking bits from it. Like I know season three is going to include little Nina. Yes. And it's going to, we're going to get some version of hero. Bomb and a vibrator. That's all I want from little Nina. So yeah, I think they, they just, they're taking plot elements and little plot lines and random characters and they're taking them and they're reusing them and they're doing it really, really good ways. And so many, even of the small side characters are, are fleshed out in much better ways. Like Rainer is fantastic. Yes. Rainer's brilliant. In yeah, because season. in Rainer, Rainer in the comic books, it's not a very, it's not a very kind portrayal of either a person higher up in the government or a woman in general. No. Because she's like, hate fucking Billy the whole way through it. And it is, it's very much, she's not portrayed in a very kind light at all. It does have like massive, like misogynistic overtones. Yeah. And that she's never much more than that. Yeah. She grows a, a bit of a spine in regards to dealing with Billy towards the end of the run of the comics. But in the show, she's got that from the get-go. Oh, yes. From the second she sees him, she's like, what the fuck are you doing here? I don't want you around. Fuck off. Yeah. How did you get in my house? Yeah, and that's pretty much the attitude with which she treats him for the entire run of the season is a nuisance. It, it kind of but goes she back ha- and forth between a nuisance and a necessary evil that she has to deal with. Yeah, she has to deal with him because he can get her shit to, take, to do her job. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, you know that person that you went to school with that you don't really like, but you have to do a project with them? <laughs> yeah it's it's very much that it's like you she just knows put, you're can... just putting up with them until such a, a time where you can excuse yourself from their presence she knows he's the only one who can get the goods yeah and she's really not interested until he comes to her like the first time she he goes to see her she's not interested at all no she's like fuck off I'm not giving you anything to do with the Mallory Files I don't want anything to do with your shit but when he comes and talks about the V and she realizes the scale of it. Then she's like, "Okay, right now." But that's also are, something credible that she can use as evidence oh, that's against Vaught. Like it's not. Oh, it's like, oh, okay. Well, you've gotten because the first time he's like, "Oh, I need to get the files." Yeah, so and she's like, "No, fuck off, away from me." But it's like anything else. So he's like, "We have credible evidence. We have photographs yeah. of them using this stuff. You know, we have all of this shit that we can we can discredit them with." You know, she's not stupid. She's not a stupid woman. She doesn't like the, the superheroes any more than anybody else seems to outside of Vought. Mm. She she's... knows that they're dangerous and that obviously being within the government and quite high up in the CIA, she's probably knows the collateral damage figures and the shit that they get up to. Well, she certainly know everything that was in the Mallory files. Yeah, so they, she knows the shit that they're getting up to. So anything that can give them a legal basis to prevent Vought from doing any more damage. Mm. Yeah, she's going to pay attention to. Although, never mind the fact that all of her operations on US soil are completely illegal, so how she's going to take them down <laughs> is beyond me. Yeah, I I will say that I liked how they're not CAA backed. No. In the comics, they're CAA backed from the start and pretty much the whole way through the run. And they all have V powers as well in the comics. And yeah, I was going to bring they that up too. They all have V. and um, That was one of the changes that I thought I wasn't going to like no, in I, advance I, of the show. I like the fact that they have to use alternative methods. But Oh yeah, I absolutely love it in the show. Yeah, because that... I, although the scene in the comic book when they inject Huey... Is hilarious. Oh, that is, yeah. And he's freaking out. (laughs) Talking about being turned into a freak and worrying about how he's going to rip his dick off the next time he tries to have a wank. Yeah. But, yeah, if you haven't read the comics, the boys are injected with, like, a stable form of V that just basically makes them super strong and super durable. It doesn't give them flight or laser eyes or anything crazy No, but it it kind of levels up their strength and durability so that then if they do go toe-to-toe with the soup... They're not just going to get ripped asunder. Yeah, in the comics it's great because it allows for big fight scenes between the boys and various super teams. And it's really fun. But in the show, for the world they were trying to create, it wouldn't have worked to have had five of them running around with super strength. Because they're not going for face-to-face confrontation in the show. No, it's all sedition. Yeah, they're trying. It's all all spy work and it's it's sedition. It's, it's, It's espionage and... 
clandestine activities and none of it's oh, the most the most forward action is Billy at the end of the uh, series the most forward person in that whole thing is Billy because Billy's like number one he's been given fucking Homelander the eye at various oh, yeah. events like he's just out on a mad one whereas the other two seem to understand that you do need to have a bit of finesse and the version of Billy we get in the show if he was powered with V oh gosh he wouldn't wait for anything he wouldn't need the boys he'd just have gone straight for Homelander the second oh he saw it would have just been a big like smack him down so yeah no I, I love this it really makes them the underdogs yeah Um, they really have to work and come up with you know ingenious ideas like you get all the cool stuff but like Mesmer getting worked in and the bomb up translucent's butthole <laughs> do you know men can also benefit from kegels using the stuff using like A-Train's addiction to V against them and they have to be really really clever and conniving uh, to stay ahead yeah. of the soups and, and I love it even love the it. one super powered one member of the team doesn't walk away from her first interaction with a superhero she doesn't walk away from her first two interactions like, with a yeah. superhero like she, her interaction with Black Noir she's dead on the street now apparently she's a fucking honey badger because <laughs> she took a nap and she woke up and she felt fine yeah and then she comes up against A-Train and he knocks her out. So even though she has V and she seems to have this super strength, her superpower seems to be that she's actually unkillable. Not yeah. that she, but she still has to recover from that. Yeah. She can still be eviscerated. And I'm pretty sure if you took her head off, she probably wouldn't survive because decapitation seems they, to be the limit on a lot of shit. They do call back to it in season two as well. Yes. So yeah, that that does very much, that's her her like power. Yeah, but uh, they also point out that it's been given to her as an adult. So maybe what they've given her isn't what they've been giving other people. Like it seems oh, to be five the formula. Yeah, Sorry. Sorry. you know because it's it's the Chinese mafia or whoever it is who has mm. has this that you know sometimes it doesn't work as well. So it also opens up that possibility that it's this is a mutation. Yeah, yeah, it could be. And she seems to have gotten the baseline of what everybody gets, which is elevated speed, strength, and durability. Mm. Only her real superpower is immortality. Yeah, in the same way that A-Train is strong, but his real superpower is speed. Yeah. And Annie is also strong and durable and able to withstand being shot, but her real superpower is the the, the, power, light, the blasts yeah. from her hands. And Maeve, whereas Maeve's superpower seems to be She's super strength. strength. Yeah. Because we don't see her doing anything else. She can't really fly. Fancy. She's yeah. not fast. She can beat the crap out of a load of people. She seems to have held up a bus full of school kids. Yeah, you its know. strength seems to be... And she seems to be number two. Yeah. Despite what the deep says, she seems to be the real number two on the team. Yeah. So strength is her thing. She's been around. She's been on the team for a good 20 odd years. She's been around and active since at least her early 20s. Yeah, she says that she's been on... The, 23 was when she joined the Seven. Or no, 23 around. is when she saves the bus full of children. That, I think that's what got her onto the Seven, though. But, yeah, so I think she's supposed to have been around for kind of... She's supposed to be our age. She's supposed yeah. to be mid-30s. But she's been around the block a few times. Yeah, and again, she's another one of those characters that's way, way, way better in the comics. Yeah, Dominique McGilligan just is fantastic as it, because it gives a... She one brings, of our own. Yes. She brings, um, not a warmth, but it's almost like a sisterhood. She hates her. It is very much that relationship with Annie that she's like, oh, it's the new girl coming in and she's all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and she's fresh off the bus with her, like, big dreams of big city lights. Yeah. And she's she's the, the bitter old showgirl who will throw pearls across the stage. But as it goes on and she's watching Annie standing up to this corporation and standing up to all this bullying... She's like, oh, okay, hang on. Yeah, this isn't... She sees something of what she used to be it's in not, Annie. She, I think she just, at the start, she just assumes that this, like everybody else, this is Annie's act. Annie's act is the all-American, good, good girl. Christian yeah. girl. And she thinks that anything she does then, that, that when Annie makes her stand for herself at um, the Believe Expo, she yeah. still thinks that that's part of the, the new act. performance and yeah. the new act. She then realises, no, oh, hang on, actually, this girl is genuinely trying to fight. She is genuinely like me when I first started mm. out. And so much better than the comics. I know we've said it before, but so much yeah. better than Maeve and in she, the comics. And you can see with Maeve as well, there's a lot of self-reflection from Homelander putting his chest, his 
history of that guy and she's like hey that's supposed to be my collar mm. to the events on the airplane all her, the stuff with Elena all the stuff with Elena you know her she's starting to re-examine her, her position mm. as well and the things that she's let slip by you know the things that she hasn't been willing to fight for in the past and realising that having it's you know she's Annie's come in and shaken kick the hornet's nest there are every everybody in the seven is they're all much more fully fleshed out rounded characters than in the comics with the exception maybe of Black Noir because he hasn't said or done a whole lot in the season no love him to bits yeah (laughs) love him to bits but yeah, everybody's better. But he's that Black Noir really is that fun. He's that little mystery character, and you're like, if I turn my back, he's gonna do something fun. <laughs> yeah, it, it's Homer being like, you can't make me come inside. That white guy in the white suit hasn't done anything yet. That's, and then he yeah. shuts the door. He can hear it. And he's like, oh no. That's definitely who Black Noir is. Like, and so the, like the most we see of Black Noir is that beautiful fight scene with Kimiko. Yeah, and he annihilates her. Yeah, that's probably the that, that's probably the single single longest bit that he's on screen for. Is him annihilating her, and there's so little sound in that. It's just the noise of the fighting. Um, you get him. He's an accomplished pianist. He can break dance. He seems to have all these weird little things going on. And it only gets but, weirder yeah. and better in season two. We still don't get a huge. We get a couple of bits that flesh out his character. But he's, but very he's much still this, much the same, yeah. just super, you know, super dangerous black ops guy and also random, unexpected, comedic entertainment guy. Yeah. Sometimes both at the same time. But he is like, he's, it's fun to have him in reserve because he's, he is very much a wild card. Mm. The boys themselves, the characters, all the characters of Emma, it is because it, it really is based in modern society. Yeah. And it came about at a time when the market was completely saturated. We were coming out off the back of the MCU wrapping up, DC's failed Justice League. Yeah. That. Yeah, definitely a kind of saturation point. So it was people, you know, but we also had the success of Deadpool and people being like, yes, it's an 18s. It's ultra violent, ultra gory, but fun and quippy. So to have something like the boys come out, it was like the perfect storm for it because yes, it is violent. Yes, it is set in reality, but it's also got a point. Yeah, it's it is it's a good deconstruction take as well. And in the same way that it happened in comics, it happened in, in movies. Yeah. That you got kind of the Watchmen comics and the the Dark Knight Rises that were The backlash to the, the happy happy Yeah. Examining these these characters. And, and taking them apart and doing different treatments with them. Mm. We're getting the movies like that now. We're getting our, our Joaquin Phoenix and Joker, your Deadpools, your Brightburns. Just they're taking things beyond the standard normal superhero. Yeah. DC well, you've had Marvel that in comics for a long time. Oh, we've had it like, in comic with the likes of like the Elseworld series and things like that. Mm. But where, we're getting it now in cinema. But it was also because people were. I think getting sick of like the MCU has been around for what eleven years at this point. Uh, longer. Uh, what two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight was the first Iron Man. So yeah. 13, 14 years. Like so, for that long, we've had comic book movies being very extremely family friendly. You know, yes, they are sad and dark, and you know, but they're never to that extreme. And then in response to that, you had the DC yeah, yeah. Batman's, which were almost too dark. And too gritty, and you didn't really care because Richard they Nolan were all Batman's. not not so much the Nolans. The Nolans I I enjoyed, except for the third one that shall never be spoken about. But then when you get to the the Henry Cavill Superman, yeah, where it was like your Snyderverse, it was too gritty. It was too dark and gritty, yeah. Without, but it didn't say anything. It didn't move. Whereas this this when tries like a Watchmen... nice balance between being incredibly violent. And and gritty. I hate that fucking. Oh, see, it's really gritty. Dark and gritty. Yeah, yeah, no, that was that was the buzzword for so long. Dark in, and gritty. In superheroes, which means everything has to be filmed super dark, so you can't fucking see anything. Whereas this isn't. This is like real world setting, dealing with real world issues with this backdrop of superheroes over it. But the superheroes are used as metaphors for what is going on in the world. Yeah, they're not. They're not the main point. No. 
they everything are, else going on around them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, they're they're the lens through which the show is trying to address various issues. Yeah. Uh, they're not super preachy about it either. Sometimes they can be a bit heavy handed, but but it's exactly what would happen today in modern society if we had superheroes. They'd be if you you could literally swap them out for influencers. Oh yeah, like I, and I don't think the show would be as good as it is or as popular as it is if it didn't if it didn't have that level of realism. No, but it it strikes a nice balance between the two major film franchises that are out there. One that is quite family friendly and fun, and yes, they have made a a it it history with the MCU. Oh yeah. Being able to do that to that scale, Kevin Feige deserves all the praise for mm. for directing and steering that behemoth. To on the other side, DC going really, really dark and murdery, and but it being too much of that, mm. they've struck this really nice balance where you do have these little moments of comic relief, and everything isn't shot through either a yellow filter or at night. <laughs> yeah. But they're actually making serious points. And they're not going on to make light of those points. No, and they're not being preachy about it. I know some people felt they were with the Believe Expo. No, I, I enjoyed that. Preachy. Oh, it was great. I think that... I think I we're think not Christian. We're not Christians. But I think if Annie was going to stand up and make have that speech at any other event, it wouldn't have had the impact it does. Oh, God, yeah. For her to stand up at uh, an event that's called Believe and is about celebrating faith. Hmm. And she's there going, I'm not going to stand here at something like this and lie to you. Because all of these people have been lying to you. Yeah, I'm going to tell you the truth. That makes it an even more powerful statement. And even though she's like, she starts with the teleprompter and all that. Hmm. And you can see the, it, the cogs turning. That she's going, I'm not saying this shit anymore. Yeah, I can't. I can't do this because I am you and I grew up in this. And she talks about that, about how she knows so many of the people there and this is her family. And she can't lie to them and deceive them anymore. Yeah, and you can only really tell the truth. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's not right. It's not morally good. It's not how she was raised. It's not a good Christian value. She shouldn't be doing these things. Now, if she ever finds out what Ezekiel's doing, she's probably going to rip his dick off. <laughs> That'll take some effort, I'd imagine. Oh, my God. Stretch Armstrong. Stretch Armstrong. The corpse Armstrong. syrup. Yeah. But I think that's more or less... Well, not, not all the things I loved about the show, because I love everything about the show. Yeah. But that, they were some of the things that I really, really enjoyed. I think that was some of the standouts were yeah. those. Like, A-Train. A-Train's pretty much an asshole in the comics and continues to be an asshole, albeit a more complex asshole with an ego the size of a small planet yeah and insecurity issues to match yeah um bringing Cherie and just the couple of little times you get Cherie but Cherie's great and she's not a character from the comics at all she's an invention for the show yeah I think she is supposed to be based on Frenchie's old girlfriend from his backstory oh the one that leaves him for, for Black, Black Pierre. Pierre and then they have the the dueling the, on the with the baguettes on the bicycles the stale, yeah stale baguettes on bicycles and yes. Black Pierre cheats by using a stale croissant yes and, and he throws it <laughs> mind you but, if you ever hit somebody with a stale baguette they do do a lot of fucking oh yeah. damage um, even down to like Huey out on the date and his friend rocking up mm. Just little things like that and telling the stories, like the story of, of Huey getting into the fight with your one and having to run away and yeah. hide behind a do- bag of dog food. Like I know in the comic books in Highland Laddie when he goes home and you do get his friend's storylines there. But it's mm. nice to see it, it very much grained in that because you're kind of there going, well, he's in his early 20s. He's got a girlfriend. He's clearly got other friends, even mm. though he lives with his dad. But there's no contact from them. And to have somebody being show up and be like, oh my God, we've all been looking for you. We've all been really, really worried. Yeah, it, it, it would happen. Because it's not like he's run off. He's still in New York. Yeah, he's just stopped answering his phone after his girlfriend got yeah. eviscerated. And he, yeah, he keeps going out to public places with Annie, like the bowling alley and the bar. So yeah. he's bound to run into somebody. Yeah, we get these little... In fairness, I've been on the other side of the world and run into somebody I know. So walking yeah. around your home borough, yeah, you're going to run into people you know. 
but they've the way that they've taken certain characters and inserted them into new environments because I don't think you get any do- doppelganger I think is only really briefly mentioned within the comic books but the fact that I mean, Ma- no he's, he's not in the comic books at not? all but the fact that Madeline uses him as a pawn to blackmail people is so fun yeah and it, it's great that you see it's not just that Vought are like okay so you're a superhero go out and save people they're like, oh no, hang on, you can turn into, yeah, you're going to be really useful. Yeah. Today you're this guy, tomorrow you're that guy and you're doing this. And the same with Mesmer. The inside trading. You know that he was doing that insider trading for what? They're, they're using these superheroes not just for no, being it, superheroes. It's to facilitate their own agenda yeah, as well. Yeah, for whatever they can use them for. <laughs> The way that they have Vought permeate everything in yeah. this in the show is just it's ah it's so so well done, goddamn it, so well done. But that it's all done through like shell, the all the little fingers and all the little pies done through all these shell corporations. Yeah, them using Samaritans embrace to move things around, like that's around. that's fucking evil. Like yeah, using, but because there'd be nothing unusual about. Uh, polio vaccines being moved yeah uh, but a charity's going yeah. going around to various, various hospitals and even the the Make-A-Wish Foundation stuff at A-Train and oh god <laughs> can you outrun dying and the the superhero being interviewed about gun control um, it's only a small TV spot yes that's, that's totally in the background but again these are all the things that build this world and show you how superheroes are absolutely everywhere in the same way that we ask celebrities who are in no way fucking qualified about things like gun control and you know human rights abuses and stuff like that they're asking superheroes about it that have no fucking the only reason they're asking him is because his name is gunpowder yeah you know they're <laughs> just, they're used and you get that as well in the background when they a lot of the time they're giving out about talking points yeah you know, they've all had their media training. They've all been coached on what to do. You've got Ashley getting berated because A-Train hasn't been scripted. And it's it's a car crash. Yeah, you hear the phrase talking points a lot. They don't miss a beat in using them to further their own agenda, be it political, financial, you name it. They have a superhero that they can trot out for that occasion. Mm. And I think that sort of feeling that we get from the show speaks to having somebody like Kripke involved. Having a, a strong world builder, yeah, a strong world builder and a strong guiding hand, and I believe the two lads, Rogan and Goldberg, are quite hands on as well. Mm. And even the likes of some of the producers, like Rebecca Sunshine, is a producer. She's written four or five episodes. Phil Segretia is a producer, and he's directed four episodes. They all sound like they were heavily involved in in crafting this world kind of together. Yeah, without and, it being ridiculous. Yeah, and it really stands to the effort that they put in because yeah. it's, it's an amazing show. It really is. Yeah, no, you really, really do believe it. And mm. you do believe that this could happen and that this is just a drug that's been developed that can do all these things and the rest of it's all a lie. It's mm. the great Gatsby, mm-hmm. but better. It is, yeah, I, in terms of the season as a whole, eight episodes was perfect length for it because there is a lot in it. Oh, I'd, I'd eat up 22 episodes a season of this if they'd give it to me. I but you're think right. it would run out of steam very No, quickly. oh, you're right. I'm just saying I'd, I'd take all the books oh, they'd yeah. give me. You know, it would run out of steam and where they've ended this season is a, is a good spot. Like you've gotten, you've got a good hold on the universe. You've got a good hold on who all these characters are. You've gotten, I'd say the most plot development has come from Annie and Huey. That they're us going into this world. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I from get you. The two different aspects of it, of Annie going into the glitz and glam of being a soup and discovering that that's not all it's cracked up to be, to Huey on the other side of the coin. Going into the boys' world. Going into the boys' world and discovering at the same time that Annie is that, because he's idolised them, that, you know, it's not all it seemed to be. You've got them on very parallel paths. Then you've got the demise of A-Train, not demise, but like he's slowly losing his grip on reality and yeah. on his position. And the Deep as well, who loses everything realistically. He loses mm. his position, his ego gets one hell of a bashing. He then gets violated in a very intimate... And in a way, it is very fitting because it's something that he has presumably done to numerous other people. Oh, yeah. You get that when they're like, no, we're not just going to cover this up this time. For him to get a taste of his own medicine. And then even after that, he's not as freaked out as he should be. 
but then you get his total collapse at the end of it when he realizes that Vod have essentially washed their hands of him. Yeah. And he's gone from being. Well, he kind of knew he was the butt of the joke anyway, because he's like, I'm just the fish guy, to yeah. they really, really don't care about him. Yeah. Nobody in this series has a good time. No. <laughs> Even all the seven have a bad time. Translucent dies. Yeah. A, a- train. No, Noir is the only one. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? Even, <laughs> even Homelander has the rug pulled out from under him when he finds out that after all these years, he actually has a son. Stillwell dies. And that everybody <laughs> Stillwell's been lying to him. Who, yeah. And their whole weird, weird, fucked up relationship. The, the Stillwell-Homelander stuff is just pure gold. That is somebody working in, out their own psychological issues. Because <laughs> in, in the comics, as fun as the Stillwell character is, he's James Stillwell. He is re- he's real like conniving and, and he's he's the guy who's pulling the strings behind the scenes and he's totally the, the company man. Like I think I said, he, some of the way Edgar is in season two is kind of what James Stillwell is. Yeah, like but even comics. Edgar has more personality than Edgar. Oh, Edgar yeah. is the blank corporate jock. Who, if anything ever happens to him, is replaced like the goldfish you get from a fair. Um, well, I don't know about that. Like he does hold a lot of of power over the seven, but that's because he's the money, and it's always in the comic, in the comics now. In the comic yeah. books, it's always like, yeah, you don't fuck with the money. Whereas in this, it's a far more intimate, personal relationship because he doesn't really have any relationships with the with them individually. Mm. He's just the the man behind it with the money. Yeah. Whereas having them live in Vought Tower and being so intimately entwined with everything that yeah. Vought is, and intimately entwined with some of its personnel. <laughs> well, yeah, that the the gender swapping from male to female for Madeline Stillwell just brought us so much excellent story uh, and, really and, and Homelander's the, mommy issues yeah the, the twisted Oedipal stuff and <sighs> just the, the the interesting power dynamics that mm-hmm. it gave us because as we've said a lot sometimes on air sometimes off air but for a show that's called The Boys it's, it's mostly gross. about women in power Yes. You know, and the women are the ones who have a lot of power in it. Rainer has a lot of power over Billy. Grace has a lot of power over Billy. Stillwell obviously has so much power over Homelander and the rest of the heroes. Our only good guy is the female who's got, who's physically well-powered. Yeah, well, Starlight as well, who's yeah. claiming, she's claiming her power and coming out from underneath the shadow of her mother. Yeah. To step into the light and be her own strong figure and saves the day at the end of the season you've got uh, that brilliant thing her interaction with the little girl where she's like oh you're in my uniform she goes yes I'm I'm saving up for the older one and you can hear the save guy save up for the new one for the new one you can hear the guy heckling her and she's like do you know what no I prefer that one mm-hmm. you stay in that one where she's like I'm more than just a, an object and women are never treated, well, to my view, you might be able to correct me, but women are never treated as objects in the show. Some of the characters do treat women and other people as objects, but the show itself. No. It never, doesn't. No. It doesn't over sexualize. I know Starlight's uniform, new uniform, is supposed to be hyper sexualized, but the show itself doesn't seem to over sexualize its female characters. In fact, you don't see any female nudity. The only nudity you see are. You see full yeah. frontal from Translucent and then you see man through You never see any female nudity. No, and the only time that there and is... And it's really refreshing. Yeah, and like the one time that you do get it with the, say, the senator, it she transforms into a large fat man. And you only see her naked back. Yeah, but... If I recall, you don't see she, anything else. You don't yeah, even the see one, like side boob. But like the one like sex, the traditional conventional sex scene... Turns out to not be because it's an old man tied to a bed being ridden by a 300 pound white guy. Yep. Well, we do get the, the Annie Huey sex scene in season seven yeah, when they're in the hotel. But you that's know, again. Done, you know, yeah, everything's completely covered up. Mm. It's done as a very sweet romantic yeah, scene between supposed two people who actually do sensual. care for each other. It's yeah. not dirty. Yeah. Not like, not no, dirty, I, I dirty, know what you but mean. like, you know. It, it's not translucent standing in the corner of a single mom's house jerking it. Yeah. Just before a home intruder comes in. No. 
And it's not done to be gratuitous. Like, you know, the, the atypical, like, Hollywood trope of the L-shaped bedsheet. Yeah. Where she's covered and he's not. Like, it is, it's done very much in the sense of these are two people who do care very much about themselves. And mm. we've just happened to be allowed a glimpse of this. Yeah. Whereas I very much would have preferred if we hadn't had a glimpse of the, the Stillwell one. I could have done without that. Oh, the Stillwell oh, who, who, who's such a good boy. You're such a sweet boy. You're my big boy. Yeah. Yeah. The creep factor between Homelander and Stillwell. It's... I'm trying to think of anything comparable in any of the shows we've watched that's not supposed to be intentionally played for, like, creepy laughs. No. Like, where it's just... Like, that's... When he's standing and it looks like he's just staring at his portrait but he's watching her. Or when she's pumping. Yeah, and he's, like, making those, like, weird sucky motions with his mouth where he's like, uh... And he's kind of, like, just sticking the tongue out a wee bit. Uh, we haven't even talked about Anthony Starr. Anthony yeah. Starr is it's a just fucking, he's a powerhouse. Of an actor. Oh, I, I, I originally when he was cast, it was like, "Who the fuck are you?" Because I hadn't seen him in anything. Yeah, I knew he was a Kiwi. Was like quite happy with that Kiwis. I, yeah, I love a lot fine. of Kiwi actors. Um, I can't picture anybody else in the role now. No, he's so good, and I love the fact that he was saying once he's out of costume and his hair is its normal color because his hair is really dark brown. Nobody recognizes him, which is great. <laughs> Because he doesn't really want to be Rec- recognized all the time as Homelander. Yeah. I can understand that. Especially like if he's out with his family and his kids and stuff like that. He doesn't want people coming up to him and being like, oh. But he is, he just, he plays it so well. He plays it. He is outstanding. The the mood shifts are the bits that get me because he, mm. he swings from uber violence to charm. And, and, and the friendly menacing. And I've mentioned that <sighs> before. When he's he's being so threatening, but in such a friendly tone of voice, it just ah, he's just amazing. He's just so good. The whole I was actually really pissed off when they did the Emmy nominations this year, and he wasn't nominated for one. The boys have been nominated. They've for got a like few, five nominations, I think. But yeah. it's all to do with VFX and editing and production. And I was like, if there's anybody who deserves one, it is him. He plays that character and the nuances of that character so so well because at his core. He's extremely troubled. He has huge mommy issues, which we've seen oh, from the yeah. fact that he was raised in a box being observed. Yep. Um, that he latches on to... he's He is very clearly latched on to Stillwell, who seems to have been the only person who has given him any sort of positive attention. Mm. And her lying to him is the ultimate betrayal because everybody else in his life has lied to him. Yeah. So for her to do it just solidifies his disregard for humans. And so much of for, his, like normal people. So much of his life is based around lies of what he does versus what's reported in the media yeah. and how he has to portray himself. Because his watching the episode where they're having to do all the um he's going through the house and they find his blanket and that's where you get that flashback to all he had was this blanket in mm. this blank room. And when he's having the conversation with Stillwell and he was like, if you, I took you to a house and you had to walk through and tell all these lies about everything, how would you feel? And you do kind of feel that he is this little, at his very heart, he's this little lost boy who just wants to be. He's just, yeah, he's a scared little boy who wants to be loved. Yeah. And. The only difference is he has all these insane powers and nobody's ever told him no. Yeah. And it, it, there's no there's no mustache twirling villains in this show. There, everybody is nuanced. Everybody yeah. has shades of grey about them. Nobody's perfectly good or perfectly bad. No. Everybody has the capacity for both in them. Yeah. Well, Annie, I think even even oh yeah, Annie is like she's mostly good, but she still goes against. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing she does in this season that's particularly bad by any means no you know what I mean but she's not like she's not perfect nobody's perfect nobody's perfect but she is I'd say she at her core she's the closest thing in this show she's a good person yeah oh yeah definitely you know at her core she is a good person compared to Billy who like even a Homelander I don't think necessarily is 100% evil no no I think he's whereas Butcher Butcher knows what he's doing and Butcher has made that decision. Well, I think Homelander knows what he's doing as well. The difference between Homelander and Butcher is Butcher knows what he's doing and he understands what the consequences will be and does it anyway. 
Homelander knows what mostly knows what he's doing, but he isn't necessarily aware of what the consequences no. of his actions are going to be. Yeah. That's the difference. Butcher is that bit more calculated and doesn't care what the consequences are. No. But yeah, I, 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 I could sit here and talk for another four hours about how much I love this show, <laughs> but we're going to have to call it somewhere, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Overall, for a first season of something, it's built an incredible world. It's built a totally believable world, which is... Yeah. You know, especially in this day and age with some show, with majority of shows who would take, they would either be set in the past or set in a, like an alternative timeline. They've set this very much real world, real technologies. They've made it a world that you believe exists and the way that they've built superheroes into this world. You believe that they've always been there too. And yeah. that in itself is a testament to how well the show was developed. Yeah, you would. That the show wouldn't work if you didn't believe that central conceit. Yeah. I really don't think it would. And the fact that there is a full history there, you've gotten to see the kind of dark side of things. Yeah. No, it it's... I don't know what else I can say. No. That I, that I haven't said, or as I just... I, I'm going to have to stop talking at some point, I okay. think. <laughs> because both of us are the same. We could just keep going and going. And, yeah. and we still have another season to cover. Yeah. Most definitely, starting with season two, episode one. We'll be back and cover every episode much like we did season wrap at the end as well I think yes so join us next week and in the meantime if you want to contact us you can find us on Twitter sorry on Twitter at Ransomano join us on tweeters <laughs> join us on the tweeters or you can email us at monorantspodcast at gmail.com thank you very much guys see you soon bye bye, bye.